Hello everyone and welcome to our weekly Chinuch Chabura. This is going to be a special Erev Pesach edition, um, an Erev Pesach in the Corona Crisis edition. As much as we are going to take from the texts and take from Shirim I have been listening to over the last week or so with regards to Chinuch, I'm also going to take the opportunity to ponder on Chinuch and allow ourselves to think about um, where we are at the moment in terms of who takes responsibility for what in terms of our children's education. I want to start off with a story. It's my own personal story that relates to being in control. We are being told over and over again that one of the problems with our generation is we think we're in control. There's too much It's my strength and my abilities that made me successful. We feel we can control anything. We can get on a plane and fly wherever we want to. Uh, we have the money, many of us to buy whatever we want to within certain limits, but we don't feel deprived. And this has given us a false feeling of feeling in control. This feeling was dispelled in my life a number a few years ago when I was working for a school. And during the time I was working there, it was actually at a school netball match, I fell and slipped two discs. I was off work. Um, soon after that for a whole term. It was very debilitating, very painful, as I'm sure some of you might know. And then we had to decide whether I was actually going to continue. The school where I was working was held with it a heavy commute. And they called a meeting. And the meeting was with the governors of the school and the Vada Chinuch. And one of the members of the Vada Chinuch is... Rabbi Yaakov Yehuda Salomon, who is the son of our esteemed um, Rosh Hashiva in Lakewood, Ramatis Yahu, he should be gesund and stark. And they asked me to say how I feel about everything that's been going on. And I started off, turned out to be completely on the wrong foot, and said, the worst thing about this is, I do not feel in control of my body. To which Rabbi Yaakov Yehuda said, Mrs. Nemeth, we are never in control of our body. What a lesson I learned then. And I carried that lesson with me to make us realise we're not in control of anything, not even our own bodies. And we've seen that now. Something that is the billionth of a centimetre has brought the whole world to a stop. We're not in control of anything. And unfortunately, for some people, that billionth of a germ has made people terribly ill. And Lohalenu, some people haven't recovered. And we're just still davening that Mietzashem, those who are lying sick in hospital or suffering at home, will have a Rufuashalema Bukharov. I'm going to lead this shear in a slightly different way to what I normally do. 
Normally, we look at the Cedra or we look at Pirkeavos or we look at some davening and we extract, draw out messages of Chinuch, direction in Chinuch. This time, I'm going to start the other way around. Well, everything seems to be upside down at the moment. So I'm using that to start the other way around. And I'm going to explore an area in Chinuch that is really important. And we can expand to our corona experience right now. I'd like to explore the difference between correction and criticism. When we criticise our children, 90% of the time, we're doing it, we feel, for their own good. If we don't tell them what they're doing wrong, how can they know that it's wrong? Isn't that my job in Chinuch? I've got to be Machanuch, my child. I've got to criticise him in order to, to take away his bad behaviours. The definition of criticism is when you tell off the person on account of their deeds. And whilst very well-meaning, uh, there is no parent who is badly intentioned. But the trouble is, when you criticise a child for something that they have done, they cannot distinguish between the criticism of them as a person and the criticism of the deed that they've done. So, for example, their bedroom might be messy. So you'll tell your, to your teenage daughter, you are such a schloch. She hears schloch, schloch, schloch. My mother doesn't like me. She doesn't like who I am. She doesn't like what I do. A child who isn't doing well in school. And you might inadvertently say, Chaim, you've got to work a bit harder. I think you're a bit lazy. And the child hears lazy, lazy, lazy. My, my parent doesn't like me, doesn't approve of me. Now, this is happening because... We are taking the child's mistake, error, that needs to be corrected, and we are turning it into a personality trait. And that can be very, very damaging. It can be so damaging that it can stop children performing. I recall a, a while ago, I was giving a uh, parenting course, and this is part of the Alpidarka parenting course, um, in a, with a group who lived in, in town in the West End. And there was a lady, a lovely, refined woman um, in the group who was French. And she was very quiet. She'd hardly spoken. This essence about correction, not criticism, comes in the final session of Alpidarko. And we'd hardly heard from her, if at all. And at this point, she piped up. And she said, I want to talk about my experience. My parents, and I'm sure they meant well, were extremely critical. Everything that I did went under the microscope. Nothing passed their notice. And I was told morning, noon and night 
that I wasn't doing this right and I wasn't this type of person and I shouldn't be that type of person. So much so that I gave up. I remember her saying that all her friends went on um, from school to university. She failed her exams miserably, although she was very capable. And she went and worked in a shop for six years. And in her mid-twenties, she wasn't living at home anymore. She refound herself and she found herself able to move forward with her studies and she became something in the professional world. That's a case of extreme criticism that killed this woman's potential until she could refine it for herself. So how can we help children to correct things that are going wrong without criticising. I do not believe there is such a thing as constructive criticism. I feel that constructive criticism is an oxymoron. An oxymoron is when two words in one phrase contradict each other. Many people use the expression um, to realise what an oxymoron is, is reliable British weather. That's an oxymoron. Constructive criticism is an oxymoron. We need to find another way of helping our children to correct their mistakes, their behaviours. And the, the answer is in the word correction. Correction, not criticism. And there are two ways that we can correct. The first way we correct is to eliminate criticism and minimise mistakes. And that in itself has got two meanings. If we eliminate criticism, then the mistake that the child has made is minimised. But there's another meaning. If we eliminate criticism from our homes, nobody criticises anybody, a magic happens. There are fewer mistakes. People make fewer mistakes when they realise that they can step out into the world and do things and they're not going to be criticised. So number one is to eliminate criticism and minimise mistakes. And number two in correction, not criticism, is to point the child in the direction you want them to go. So it's not your room is a mess, you're a schloch. It's I expect this room to be tidied by 11 o'clock this morning. It's not you came down late this morning. Before they go to bed tonight, say... It's Erev Pesach, I expect you to be down here by nine o'clock, having washed, showered, uh, brushed your teeth, davened, made your bed, what, whatever is right and appropriate for the, for the age and the circumstance of your child. Whatever it is, point them what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. Now, by using correction and not criticism, we are achieving the same ends. We're going to be able to correct a behaviour 
or let the child realise that they need to correct a behaviour, but without criticising, without letting them feel that they're unworthy. That's correction, not criticism. There have been many, many, many interpretations on what is going on in the world right now. I've listened to loads of them, saturated with them. But the one that really appeals to me and that fits in with correction and not criticism was a sheer given last week by Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein. The title of the shear is You Are Never Alone. And please listen to it on Torah anytime. It's absolutely brilliant. And he has a different interpretation on what's going on. Yes, there are things that we need to perfect. Yes, we need to do tshuva. Yes, we need to take on more mitzvahs. Our realization of who we are, not in control, Hashem is in control, all needs work. But he has done it in a way, interpreted in a way that the Rabbin Shalom is correcting us, not criticizing us. He's not the angry teacher in the classroom saying, Get out! And when you realize what you've done wrong, you can come back. He's not saying that. He's saying, you know what? You are the A-team. You are going to be something really, really special. And if you want to achieve the heights that I need you to achieve to take you, Claudius Royal, onto the next level then you have to stay home. You have to stay home and use that time to contemplate, to work out with no distraction. There's no distraction. There's no school. For many people, unfortunately, there's no business. It's just us and our families. Unfortunately for some, it's us on our own. For some single-parent families, we are alone with our children. But whatever it is, wherever we are right now, that's where Hashem wants us to be. And that is the perfect environment in which you are going to be able, Klal Yisrael, to reach your potential. So the Rabbi Shalom is saying, you had the Siyamashas. All around the world, hundreds of thousands of men coming together to celebrate the completion of learning Shas. You give stalker like never before. You have Kailalim, we have Chinuch, we have schools, we have seminaries, we have yeshivas. You have all that. But I want you to get to a super level. And in order to get to that super level, temporarily, I am taking away everything. Everything. In Eretz Yisrael, you can't walk more than 100 metres. Here in England, we're only allowed out if we go exercising an hour a day, maximum. What is this? 
No shores. It's so sad. Our shores are locked up. There's no echo of children in the playground, in the classrooms. But it's for a good reason. Because Hashem is saying, now, Clally Israel, you've almost reached the level that I want you to be. And in order to get there, you are going to go home and you are going to think about your deeds and who you are and who's in charge. <coughs> what a beautiful, positive interpretation. That's correction, not criticism. This is where we are and who we are, and nothing happens by chance. The fact that it is now Nisan, the month of Gula, for generations, for millennia, it has been the time we sit down and we read the Haggadah of thousands of years. Because this is, we remember, that Hashem redeemed us then, and he will redeem us now. Rabbi Beryl Wine, who brings to all his children the most fantastic perspective on life. He is a historian like no other living rabbi with a brilliant capacity to be able to put everything into perspective. And in a recent shear that he gave to Malamdim and Machanchim in America to Torah Masora, he projected forward, will life be different after Corona? And he compared it to Nayach and the flood. Life was different. Noach had to go out and start all over again. Things are going to be different. We're davening for Mashiach. Nobody knows when he's going to come. We do hope he'll come soon. But we'll still wait for him. But in the meantime, this is also an opportunity for us to think about our lives not only the detail of our lives, but things that we take for granted. I read La Havdil in a, in a secular article that after World War II, the NHS came into being. There was the 1944 Education Act that gave mandatory education for all. So too in our world, Things will be different. They can't be the same. And what I'd like to do is to project how maybe things could be different in Chinuch. Because of the success of the day school movement in England, in America, in Eretz Yisrael, and all over the world, where we have outstanding chinuch and excellent education. So much so that the generation of parents now, if they have been brought up in our communities, have outstanding knowledge and skills. 
And I'm wondering whether because we have that knowledge and those skills, whether schools in the future need to play the same central role that they have been playing until now. We have wonderful schools. We have head teachers, Melamdim, Machanchim, Machanchis, Meiras, Manalim, Rebbers, who put everything into the education and chinuch of our children. It's unbelievable. However, the primary educator is the parent. And because we have this system of mandatory schooling, have we actually ever thought, is that the best thing for our children? Now, I know many of you are at home now, can't wait to get the kids back to school. And I'm sure I'd be exactly the same if I had kids home right now. I really, really do know how hard it is. But nonetheless, we are now in a different generation. We're in a generation where parents are educated, where parents have skills, where parents are also very, very, very busy making ends meet. And we've got swept along in not even thinking about whether our children should go to school or not. But not only that, we send them out earlier and earlier and earlier. We send children to a gan, we send them to a nursery, we send them to school from eight in the morning until four or sometimes five in the afternoon. Now schools are doing a fantastic job, but is that what's best for every child? Most of our children, Baruch Hashem, do really well in school. But in the last five to ten years, we have had, we have now an emerging trend. Number one, behaviour. All head teachers and teachers who've been in Chinuch for a while will tell you that behaviour is more challenging now than it ever was. Teachers are now expected to be social workers, psychologists, pastoral care. Be careful. We have a snowflake generation. Why are children so fragile? Children's mental health has become a huge issue in our world as much as in the wider world. We hear terrible things of teenagers self-harming, taking drugs, loalenu, doing away with themselves. We have children who are not accepted in schools. What a chutzpah. Who are we to say that a child can't come to a school? We should be turning around to parents and saying, please, will you come to my school? Parents are the primary educators. 
We learn that there are three shotfim in, in, in bringing up a child, in creating and being up, bringing up a child, a mother, a father, and the rabbi Shalom. It doesn't say schools. Yes, Yeshua ben Gamla, when he created the first school, out of necessity. I'm asking now, what is the necessity? We look at the world with a certain paradigm. A paradigm is the lens we use to look at things. And just like it's quite hard to change glasses because we need to change our perspective, I'd just like to consider doing a paradigm shift on the education and the chinuch that we give our children. And I'm only saying this because I know that some children are suffering. They're not only suffering from mental health issues, they're suffering from social issues. They don't fit in. They're not part of the crowd that can have a mental health impact. They're suffering from not being the top. I only came third. I came 23rd. Why do children have to be set up in comparison with another? Everybody's good at something. We say that all children are gifted. It's just sometimes we haven't opened the wrapping. Where is the exceptional potential that some children have, but our schools, we just can't get there. We're so overwhelmed with the demands of everybody, from parents to governors to the government to exams to SATs to all the different things. But what about the child? We're now in a world of technology. I understand full, full well the dangers of technology. But there are also Gadorim and there are also safety nets and there are ways in which possibly in the future we can be using technology more and schools less. This is not going to be the best for everybody but for some children it might be the making of them. I'm acquainted with a family who have two delightful sons. One son struggles, has struggled up till now with his studies. The other one has struggled with his behaviour. His father's constantly getting phone calls, getting called in. Since these boys have been at home since the lockdown, they have been angels. Angels. What's happened? Now, it hasn't happened with every family. And some children have turn from being angels to being very, very difficult to manage. And I understand that. But just taking that small example, the pressure that the older child was under, being taken out because he couldn't match up to what everybody else was doing or the teacher wasn't able to cater for his needs. So every lesson he got taken out, what that did to him played out at home, but not now. And another child who's bored, 
has to sit behind a desk, who has a very creative personality. Yes, he's a class clown. He can get everybody laughing, but gets into trouble. But now there's no pressure. So what is it about what we're doing to children? We're doing it with the best of intentions, but it doesn't necessarily suit everybody. And can we do things differently? Ah, I can hear you say, I'm not a teacher. I never wanted to be a teacher. As parents, we are all teachers. How do we know? Because our children see it and see us as that, and that's how we bench. We include a special brocha for Ovi Meiri, our father, our teacher, my father, my teacher, and Imi Marossi, my mother, my teacher. So even though you might not have taken formal teacher training, you're their teacher. And there's n- there are no professional skills that can't be learnt. So maybe we really need to be thinking this. Yes, schools carry on doing the jobs that they're doing. But I want to give parents the opportunity to take a step back and think and discuss and explore. Is there another way of doing this? Is this in the best interest of my five-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 15-year-old? We are in a very different world from the 1944 Education Act. We're in a very different world from La Havdil Yoshua Ben Gamla. We need to consider that the world, the world that we're in. And just to conclude this part of the shear, I want to do a paradigm shift on parents' evenings. When you think about it, parents' evenings... We are invited to come to school and hear about our children. Hello? These are, this is my child you're talking about. Yes, you are in school and you're seeing him and you're trying to teach him as one of 30. We should be having teacher evenings. Where, dear teacher, I invite you into my home. I tell you about my child and you can go away and consider how to accommodate him in your class. We are approaching Seder night. Wednesday night in Chutzner it's Thursday night as well. We will be taking advantage of the perfect lesson. As a teacher trainer, as an inspector, I've sat and looked sat at the back of many, many classes, looked at lots and lots of lesson plans. If we put the Seder in the lesson plan, there's no question it will get outstanding. We start off by hooking the children into the learning, piquing their interest, allowing them to ask questions. Dipping, washing, there's so much going on. This is audiovisual at its very, very best. It even goes further. You've got the smells, you've got the tastes, you've got the sights. This table doesn't look like my normal Shabbos table. What, what's the bone? Why is that burnt egg? That's how you get children interested. 
You get children interested by hooking them in, enticing them, letting them see what's around. But what's the real purpose? We need to think in the best way of strategic thinking. What do I want my children to leave the Seder with? We put so much effort into preparations for the Seder. Let's just spend some time with each of my children. Number one, number two, number five, number six, number nine, number ten. Can I Nahora, each one of them? They have different needs. But some of them can have shared outcomes. And I think certainly if we start with the older ones, starting from a nine and ten year old, I want my child to know that you're part of a really, really good story. It's not just about us here in Golders Green, in Manchester, in Gateshead, in Monsey, in Yerushalayim. We're part of a story. We're part of a very, very big story. And as soon as we finish piquing their interests and looked at the four sons, we go right back to the beginning. Mitchila Oivde Avoid Zara. The Achshav Keravano Hamakom Avoid We go right to the very beginning. And then Orami Oived Ovi Ovi. So in this perfect lesson. We've started the children off, and now let's look at some text. The text that tells our story. And we don't only look at the words, we look at what the words mean. What does Vayogoshom bim seimaot? What does Vayoreu oisonu hamitzrim vanitzak? What's the words? Of Vanitzak nowadays, now, right now, that we're crying out to Hashem and we're making sure, will he hear us? Is he going to hear us? That's what we need to consider. That's what we need to realize that our children need to go out with. The feeling that they are part of a nation. A nation chosen by Hashem to be his Am Hanivcha, to be his chosen people that carries the responsibility of making a Kiddush Hashem. We're part, and now this is history. There's no question this is history. Never, ever, ever in the history of time has every shul in the world being closed. Never since Noach and the flood has there been a world event. We are living through a world event. We are part of this story. And we need to make sure that whether it's our teenager who's disenchanted or our eight and nine-year-old who doesn't really realise or a Sha'ina Leyade Yishoel. There is something in the Seder for everybody. We are members of Klal Yisrael. Hashem has chosen us 
And just like he redeemed us then, he's going to redeem us now. And we lead up to the ultimate of Pesach, Matzah, Umorah, to explain to the children what these mean, the significance. We're part of a very big story. We in our little family, and today, this year, it's going to be mostly little families, without the grandparents, just the father telling the child. Unfortunately, without grandparents this year, it's the father telling the child. I'm sorry about that gap, I was interrupted. I'm sorry. On Shabbos, we went for a walk, as you're allowed. And we're walking down one of the roads in Golders Green, keeping our social distancing. And a young father, who is a extended relative of ours, says, Mrs. Nemov, what's going to happen? How will our children know about the Seder if they haven't been in school? I just smiled and wished him a good Shabbos. He's lost the plot. The mitzvah is the Higadata Levincha. And you should tell it to your child. You, the father, Yes, the grandfather does have a responsibility, but not the Rebbe, not the teacher. Yes, they do a fantastic job, but the primary responsibility, the primary educator is you, the parent. And for the younger ones, as we say, at Pesachloi, maybe it's the mother rather than the father. But whatever it is, we have that responsibility. I'm sure many of you will share the experiences that we've had, that children are so well prepared in school, that it's vehigatatola abba, that our children tell us their divrei Torah, which is wonderful, which is fantastic, but it's supposed to be vehigatatola vincho. After the flood, after Noyach sent the flood, he sent a rainbow. And when we see that rainbow, we say the very, very special brocha. Zoycher habris v'ne'emon bivrisoi v'kayom b'ma'amaroi. That Hashem remembers the covenant that he will never destroy the world again. For many people, this feels like the beginning of the end of the world. The econ there's no economy. There's no davening. There's no chinuch. There's no shopping. All things that we used in our world has all come to an end. But it's in order to lead us to a much better place. A few years ago, I wrote an essay, and the essay 
title was A Place at the Seder, A Place in Clalysroel. The most important thing that every child must feel is that they have a place in our families. The notion of place psychologically is critical. The most important task that we are doing in being Mechanech, our children, is letting them know that we are Jews and that our job on this world is to form a relationship with and serve the Rebbeinah Shalaylam. Seder night is the night to do this. It's the night of Emunah. Many of you might be making Seder for the first time. Many of you are making Seder for the first time. Either you always went to the parents or always went to in-laws or most of the time or always went on holiday. And it's not easy. But look at the opportunity that the Rabbin Shalom has given you. He's given you the opportunity to help each child find his place. How do we do that? How do we use these last few days before Pesach to help them find their place so they sit at our Seder table and say, I belong. I not only belong in this family, I belong in Klal Yisrael. And we do this by building on their strengths. We can't do it by building on a weakness. You know, when you, you, you're lucky enough to have a house and you want to build a loft extension, the first thing the surveyor does when he comes to your house is he looks at the foundations. And if there's a crack, he'll say, I'm terribly sorry, madam. We cannot build on this house because there are cracks in the foundations. Those are the weaknesses of our children. What we must do is build on their strengths. And in these last few days before Pesach, there is an opportunity for every child with every talent and skill to use those skills to contribute in the final preparations for Pesach. You might have an artistic child. Let them make a creative centerpiece. Let them make the name places. Let them draw some paintings that that depict the, the everything that is so such amazing pictures that we have in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of the plagues, of the of the Avdos, of the Cherus. Let their creative spirit run wild. Give them a corner. Go, darling, create some pictures. We're going to show them at the Seder table. You might have a child that's musical. Go, darling, I want you to plan the music that we're going to sing during Hallel. Find the nigun for each one and you will lead it. You might have a child that's mathematical. Please, will you work out? The shiurim, the shiurim, the measures of matzah, the measures of 
of the morrow. How many bottles we're going to need? So many people want grape juice and so many people want wine. Or take it even further, help them with your finances. There might be some children who have very good organising skills. Do me a favour, work out how we can best make the transition from Chomets to Matzah, the kitchen and the Kalim and everything that needs to be done. You might have a child who excels in chesed. There is so much chesed to do right now. I don't need to tell you where that is. You might have a child who's fantastic at baking. Let them bake. Fantastic at menus. Let them make the menus. A Talmud Chochem, a budding Talmud Chochem, male or female. She loves looking at sources, at texts. There's not any Seder night. We've got many, many meals to have Divrei Torah. You are in charge of the Divrei Torah. That is how you help your child find their place. And I can promise you that with Siata Deshmaya, with help from Hashem, if we put in that Hishtadlus and we go beyond the call of duty, and help our children to find their place at the Seder, we are reassured of their place in Klal Yisrael. I'd like to end with another personal story that shows the power of Seder night. A number of years ago, I was on a trip in Eretz Yisrael with educators all Jewish educators, but from various um, ranges of standards of adherence to Torah and mitzvahs. For example, in the group I was called the Haredi lady. I was right over on the right, and there were people right over in the middle, and we were all together as a group. And on one occasion, we were in Yerushalayim, and we could choose where we wanted to go. We could visit the university, we could visit a certain school. And I chose to visit a very, very special cheder called Aderes Eliyahu. Aderes Eliyahu um, was then in the old city of Jerusalem. I believe there are a few branches of it now. And they are Machanach, their boys, According to the Mishnah, being Chomesh Lemikra, and I think it's Shlosh Yisrael Lemishnah, Chomesh Yisrael Talmud, and they, in huge depth, they go into making sure children know Chomesh and Nach and Mishnah is inside out and back to front, and I wanted to see how this worked. And there was a group of about five of us who went. And one of the people who wanted to go to Aderes Eliyahu was one of the men who was right over on the left of our group, Yiddishkeit-wise. And I was quite interested in thinking, I wonder why he wants to come here. Anyway, we had a tour and we watched lessons and the knowledge the children had and the depth that they had, all of them, not some of them. 
they, they were able to relate taking a chumash, from Chumash here to Nach there and how it all related. It was fabulous. It was very, very impressive. And this cheder was run by Rab Zilberstein. Rab Zilberstein, the grandson of Rav Zilberstein, who translated Chumash Rashi into regular script. And we had some time with him in his little office. And he said, would anybody like to ask a question? And as soon as he said that, my colleague from the left piped up. Rabbi, how do you know that any of this is true? How do you know that Tyra is true? Ah, that's why he wanted to come. He wanted to challenge without blinking, without thinking. Rab Zilberstein, with a smile, turned back to my colleague and said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. He said, now, or when you were a child, did you have a Seder? And he said, yep. And he said, your parents were at the Seder. Did you ever have a Seder with your grandparents? This particular person had come from Leeds and his grandfather also lived in Leeds. And he said, yes, we always used to have a Seder, one with our one set of grandparents and one with the other set of grandparents. And Rav Silberstein said, how do you think your grandfather knew how to make a Seder? He said, well, he was from Russia. He probably sat at his father's Seder. Ah, and do you think he ever had his grandfather? So we're now talking about your great-great-grandfather? Or maybe three greats at the Seder? Yes. He said, and how do you think your great-great-great-grandfather knew how to make a Seder? My colleague blushed and didn't say anything else. Our Seder has not changed. We've been doing this for Dairus. This is Leil Shimurim. This is the most important night of the year. This is the night of the year when we pass on our Messiah. We are instructed that we must, the Higadata Levincha, we must tell our children. We couldn't rely on schools this year. We have to do it for the best of our abilities. We are Avi Mairi and Imi Mairasi. I do hope that this Shia has given you the opportunity to think about Chinuch, to think about Chinuch now, and also maybe think about Chinuch in the future. But in the meantime, my lovely ladies, I can see you sitting around the table. One of you must have had her baby by now. I hope everything is going well. And another two expecting very soon, Kanina Hora, smiling with your children at the Shear as well. I look forward to seeing you soon, very, very soon around the table. But in the meantime, I wish you all a Chag Kasher V'Sameach.